goes to Washington. There's a couple questions up there. I don't know if you can read them, but it says, what governs us? Is it the kingdom of God or governments established and ruled by man? Um, where is our citizenship? Is it America or heaven? Some of these are, these are hypothetical questions or rhetorical, I should say, not hypothetical. You can say both. It's not necessarily either or, it's both and. Uh, to whom do we pledge allegiance, God or man? And what dictates our behavior, the Constitution or the Bible? So these are some questions that we won't have answers for at the end of the night. Or maybe we will, but it's going to entice you, hopefully, to dig deep on your own and do your own homework. A lot of times we think that we deserve better, but as we know when we study the Scripture, what we deserve ultimately uh, and, and God has been very gracious to have us be born in a, in a land where we have had free speech and freedom of religion for as long as we have. Um, many countries don't exist under the freedom of, from tyranny uh, as long as we have uh, in the history of, of civilization, I guess you would say. Um, this is a question, or this is a statement that convicts me, and I'll reference this book a lot. This book, Radical, I read this uh, on vacation this summer, or no, was it last summer? I can't remember. But uh, I highly recommend it. Some people don't like it because it's a little too edgy for them. But I like edgy, so I apologize if I come across a little edgy tonight. Um, I should maybe I shouldn't apologize about that. Um, this is something that I think he said. David Platt says it better than I ever could say it. But we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical, because I think that we oftentimes and. We would never avow or, or cling to the health and wealth gospel. We, we immediately rebuke that and say that's not in the scriptures. But how much do we really think that our, even our way of believing the gospel is, is tainted with a little bit of that? Because we look across the world and we see Christians that are on fire for their faith and willing to lay down their lives. Health and wealth is nowhere near their vicinity, yet sometimes we can say, Lord, why is this happening to me? You know, I, my, I got this bill I wasn't expecting, or I got this report from the doctor that I wasn't expecting. Um, and because of that, I think this is something that we're struggling with. Uh, we're settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Um, yeah, I mean, these statements are, are hard, and it's not a catch-all. Like, I'm not saying, like, this is what every Christian in America thinks, and, and this is how they behave, and, and I've stumbled upon this real way of thinking about the gospel. That's not what I'm trying to say. I read this book, and I was, like, floored. Like, I just, it, it tore me open, but in a good way, because it really made me reprioritize my life in the scope of the gospel, and I think that that is the call of that Jesus has on everybody's life, I would, I would assume that areas of our life that have been off limits to the power of the gospel are now laid bare so that the gospel can do its work of reclaiming authority uh, in the lives of believers back to the one who truly deserves it, which is Jesus Christ, the authority to rule in our lives and dictate how we live our lives. So with that in mind, we're going to break down into a few different sections tonight. To whom should we give our true allegiance? Now, I'm a very... Uh, yeah, I would say I'm a patriotic guy. You know, I we go to Fourth of July parades and Memorial Day parades, and I come from a long family of patriotic people. But I think it's it, it, it's very dangerous when our patriotism becomes idolatry, uh, and I think that I'm guilty of that. 
I think that a lot of people are guilty of that. And I think that it has flooded our thinking in the way we handle certain things that are, especially that are going on right now, is that we think about how it affects us as Americans before we think about how things affect us as Christians. Um, especially when our rights are involved. We start to think about our freedoms and our rights and things like that. And we start to get, it starts to get very muddied because we start to look at it through a scope of how we've been raised in America versus what Jesus said and what he expects of followers. So these are just some questions. Again, I'm, I'm just posing questions out here. I don't have the answers to all of these things. And it might be uh, one way for you. It may be another way. So we'll see. Have we neglected the Great Commission so much that God is now bringing the unbelieving world to our doorstep? I don't know. Something to think about. Have we turned a blind eye to the institutions outlined in the kingdom of God of giving to and helping those in need to the point where now corrupt men and women are trying to steal what is ours to feed and clothe the poor? We'll come back to those questions. But the reason I ask these questions is because Oftentimes, we can start to project onto others the, their intention, should I say, or what, they in, what they're trying to do to us because it affects how we feel about ourselves and our rights. Um, finally, has the church failed to grasp align, and align themselves with the heart of God? So lots of big things here. I, I apologize, but we're just going to take a look at a couple verses here to start... <clears throat> This is in order. I hope it is. We have to remember, to answer the question about who we pledge our allegiance to, is that we, when we are born again, we're born again into the kingdom of God. So our identity, we become a new creation, and we become uh, citizens of the household of God, it says in Ephesians 2. So we'll just read through some of these verses. You can jot them down. It's Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. Chances are you probably won't have any answers. <laughs> You'll have more questions than answers when you leave, so you, you want to read review some of these things. These all died in faith, having not having received the promises, but having them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is referring back to the hall of faith, where he talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then goes through the list of all the people. Noah, uh, Enoch, I think is one. <clears throat> For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country, from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And another verse is in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus... um, if you recall, when he provided food for the, the people in the wilderness, the 5,000, after they had come and listened to him, he was going to provide food for them. And the disciples were like, we don't have anything to give. And he said, well, just give them what you have. And they did, and God made it sufficient uh, in a miracle. And immediately everybody's like, wow, this bread is awesome. These fish are so tasty. We're going to make you into a king because we like what you can give us. Basically, we like what we get from you, God. Jesus. Um, I have to confess that oftentimes that's my attitude. I like what God does for me, and that becomes why I pledge my allegiance to him, right? I mean, not because he's, he deserves it because he created me, but I start to dictate my allegiance to God based on how much I receive from him, 
or like, I had a good day with God today, so we're like really close. Uh, some bad stuff happened in my life, so I'm angry at God, you know, those types of things. We have to be careful. And Jesus, it, sa- it says, when he perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king of the, the government there, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So what I find interesting about this is that Jesus, as just an ordinary citizen up to this point, you know, as far as they were concerned, uh, he knew who he was, but he provides for the needs of the people. And then when they want to put him in a position of authority in a government structure so that he can continue to provide for them, he says, no, I don't want to do that. And what I, what I take from this, and I hope I'm not reading too much into it, I don't think I am based on other scriptures that we're going to look at tonight, is that the desire for Jesus in his kingdom is for ordinary citizens to be the ones that meet the needs of the other ordinary citizens. So we as Christians say, we say I hear people say things like, my income is mine. You can't come in and take more percentage of my taxes and things like that. And, you know, obviously, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm a registered Republican. I'm probably more libertarian than Republican anymore. But we have to be careful because the, in the minds of those who want to take from us, they think they're doing a good thing because they're trying to help the poor. And it goes back to the question that I asked at the beginning. Has the enemy somehow infiltrated because the saints have been inactive, because we have not honored Christ's desire to provide for the poor, which shockingly, Jesus talks about money probably more than any other topic, other than maybe the kingdom of God. <laughs> There's so much about money and poverty. And we, even when, when Paul and Peter are like, they're not sure if they agree on things, because Paul's this new guy on the scene, and Peter's like, I don't know anything about this guy. When they come together, they said, they, you know, we were in agreement and they just wanted to make sure that I care for the poor, which is something I was eager to do. So, you know, I, I get challenged by this because, you know, just like that question that I asked about, maybe we failed to go into the world to preach the gospel so much that God's like, okay, here, I'll bring them to you. You know, where America probably has the most diverse, is the, probably the most diverse culture. I don't think that's by accident, right? I'd be like, it's not all Caucasians who are of middle European descent, is it? Or it's not all indigenous peoples of the American country. America has been positioned in this, this land of opportunity, this land that flows with milk and honey, essentially, and it has attracted the world. And I find it very interesting, you know, the attitudes that I see and people talk about, uh, about people, you know, right or wrong. I mean, I... I, I I see valid points on both sides, but especially when we talk about this idea of providing for people, because it's very, and I'll tell you flat out, like, I, you know, I'm self-employed, you know, I don't get paid. It's, it's a stressful thing, okay? Um, even more so if somebody wants to take more from what, I, what little I already earned. So I'm not trying to get people all, you know, get their purse strings all frayed or whatever, but we have to think about the ideal. What's the ideal that Christ has for the kingdom of God? Because we as his followers are supposed to be bringing the kingdom to the world, right? I mean, we're supposed to be reflecting the ideal in the way we behave and act. Not, we're not going to just make the kingdom of God happen. Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom. 
But in the meantime, we are called to live in such a way that reflects how the kingdom will be when he comes and returns. And, you know, I think about this stuff a lot, and maybe it's just because I have a lot of time to think and listen, and and I read a lot, and I encourage everyone to read. Uh, This is just a side note. Like, I hated reading in school, completely hated it. I would read the bare minimum to get by. And I, unfortunately, I was pretty smart enough that I got good grades, so I didn't have to really push myself. But I really slacked off in school, to be honest with you. I mean, I got by, and I had good grades and stuff, but like, ever since I got out of school, when it wasn't mandatory anymore, like, I've become like this voracious reader. So much so that like my, I can't sleep at night because I lay in bed thinking about all the things that I consume during the day. And I'm not saying that like, that's a good thing necessarily, but we want to educate ourselves and we want to know what we believe. You know, I'm talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about reading, you know, about doctrine and theology and everything we can get our hands on. I'm talking about reading things that are from the opposing view than what we hold. Everything. Because we never want people to be able to lump us in to what the world sees Christians like. Because the, the world's perspective of Christianity does not align with what Jesus outlines Christians to behave like in the Bible. So it should be our job to be as close to what Jesus calls us to be so that we, and we'll talk about it, it's a verse in First Peter where he says, that we should be, uh, we should put to silence the ignorant men by the way we conduct ourselves in this world, which I like to say in the Jeff paraphrase is shut up the stupid people. And that's how God wants us to live. It's so that, you know, when we, when I look on Facebook and I see, you know, a very well-meaning Christian post something that is just completely false or out of context or has just no regard for what they're posting. And then, everybody attacks. Like people, you're like, I'm not even friends with you. How are you commenting? You know, they get all crazy. And I just have to go, oh, what are you doing? You're making us all look bad. You know, anyway, that's just personal feelings. I shouldn't, I shouldn't go any further on that, but try to keep it light. I know this is heavy stuff that we're talking about. And I apologize if it seems like we're jumping all over, but time and time again, when you look at the life of Jesus, people are trying to put him in a position of worldly rule within the government structure. Uh, and I would say that we would like that. We always say we need to get Christians in the, in the White House and we need to get this and that. And there's nothing wrong with that desire, but mankind is mankind. Would you want to be the president as a Christian? Would you expect yourself to conduct your duties and, and the policies of the country according to the Constitution and this and that? you know, in, in accordance with the Bible, because I would, I would propose that even though the Constitution is based on what we would call Judeo-Christian values, it also is very clear that Christianity is not the end-all, be-all of the world, because freedom of religion is a two-way street. It's not, and, and Christians get this idea, and we're going to talk about it in a second, but like, we're totally cool with free speech and freedom of religion when it agrees with our religion, right? I mean, let's be honest. Christianity is cool. But then you start to, people start to take away religious freedom, and we say, hey, that's not fair. Even though by us imposing our religion on another religion, we're kind of doing the same thing that they're doing to us. So, I, I, you know, we have to be careful in how we 
That's why I'm saying we need to detach ourselves from our American viewpoint and look at a kingdom viewpoint because America is fallible and the Constitution is not a perfect document. And I know that probably just made people say, I'm leaving this church, but it's true. (laughs) Um, It's really not because, you know, under the Constitution, everyone has equal rights, correct? So that would include homosexual people, correct? But we as Christians say they shouldn't be allowed to to do that. But based on the Constitution, you could argue that, yes, they should be allowed to do whatever they want. Just like I, as as a Christian heterosexual, can choose to do and practice and believe anything that I want. Because that's what America is founded on. And we're glad for that, right? When it, when it benefits us. But when it doesn't benefit us, all of a sudden we're all, we uprise and we get all sad and, and angry. Instead of saying, okay, let's, let's create a dialogue here. Let's not post something on our, on our Facebook page and then run away into the shadows and see the, the debris and all the stuff left behind. Let's, let's engage people. Let's talk to people about how these things really affect one another. And that's what is so encouraging when I come back to the scripture is that that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just like drop truth bombs and walk away. He would drop a truth bomb and then everybody would be like, what? And then he would say, let me elaborate. This is what I mean. And usually it was after he had already met a need or he had already reached out to the people and made a connection. You know, Most of the verses I have here are Jesus speaking because I was like, I don't, there's too much of my own personality and too much of my own views that are going to seep into this. And I apologize. And you can throw that part away. Um, And I encourage you to do that, actually. Uh, (laughs) But if you recall, when Jesus is standing before, he's standing before Pilate and they're arguing about, you know, he's setting himself up to be a new king. And I think it's funny that they had to make up false accusations based on what they wanted Messiah to be, right? I mean, like the Jewish people, if you think about it, they thought Messiah was going to come in and overthrow Rome. They hated Jesus so much that they made that out to be a bad thing to get him to be crucified. Even though if the Pharisees were being true to themselves, that's who they believed Messiah would be. He would come and overthrow Rome. Now they're going to Rome and going, hey, this guy's doing something we don't like but we really wish it, he was the real Messiah because then he would overthrow Pilate and we wouldn't have to deal with Herod and we wouldn't have to deal with all this corruption. But Jesus isn't meeting our needs the way we want, so let's get him out of here. <clears throat> so Pilate talks to Jesus and he says, you know, your own people are accusing you. And he says, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning me? And Jesus always gets down to it, Right? He's always like, who do you say that I am, right? Are you saying that I'm the king of the Jews based on what other people are saying? Or is it true for you? Are you saying that you're the king, I'm the king in your world? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So... You could finish the thought and say, so my servants are not fighting. That's interesting. Um, Jesus prayed this prayer, which is in the the real Lord's Prayer, because it's like the chapter where he's talking to God. And he prayed for us as Christians, and I find this interesting. So he says, I've given them your word, 
and the word has, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So we're on a mission here. It's not our mission to create a comfortable existence for ourselves. Even though I work in an industry that they would beg to differ. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's all about providing a comfortable comfortable surroundings and getting to a point where you're self-sufficient and independently wealthy. And then you can start to do the philanthropic things and and begin to give back and do those kinds of things. But what I find really interesting is that Jesus has said, they're not of the world. So why are we so quick when something happens in the worldly realm to go, oh no, this can't happen. This infringes on my comfort. This infringes on my life plan or my career plan. It's interesting when we see them in, in, in bold like this, it makes us think, or at least it makes me think, because he says that they're not of the world, and I've sent them into the world. Sent them to do what? We know the Great Commission, right? <clears throat> so they're constantly, when they're looking for reasons, you know, we talked about how they set Jesus up with false accusations before Pilate because they couldn't get him involved in the political fray. They tried. They tried their best to get him to take sides. And if you look in our society, right, like I would, I would argue that we are more divided as a country than we've ever been. Would you disagree with that? Like I don't recall, and maybe I was just young, but the vitriol that goes back and forth between conservatives, liberals, Democrats, Republicans, to the point where you're like, wishing ill of their family and this and that. I'm not saying anybody like that does that stuff in here, but we see it all the time and it's like, they're an idiot. Can you believe that? And they're at it and you're like, wow. Like, okay. Say those things in the public square because you're putting them out on the public social media. You know, everybody's totally cool with that. You know, it's this idea of division, right? And they try to get Jesus to pick sides. It says, uh, this is about the temple tax. <clears throat> this is one of the times they try to get him to side against whether taxes are good or bad. And they ask Peter, does your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter says, yeah. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, uh, from strangers. Jesus said, then the sons are free. This is what I want to point out though. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. That's a pretty cool principle that I think Jesus is is trying to say. Taxes, okay? Lest we offend them, even though, yeah, maybe we don't feel like we should pay more or that, or less, or we think they're illegal. I have one friend that thinks that tax, all taxation is theft. You know, some people think that, some people don't, whatever. But he says, lest we offend them, I'm going to provide for it. So we get so like, oh no, what, what are they going to do? But I would argue that 
we shouldn't concern ourselves with it as much as maybe we do because Jesus is going to make it work. Jesus isn't short on cash like some churches would like you to believe. You know, if Jesus has positioned us in America, which is financially prosperous for the most part, you know, and he's called us to the Great Commission, it's not going to be like, oh, I now pay 40% of my income, so I can't afford to support this missionary anymore. You think God's going to like be like, okay, yeah, I didn't think about that. You know, Jesus is going to provide all the resources that we need. So we, we sometimes, we use things that happen to us as excuses to get out of the Great Commission or, or what Jesus has placed as a calling on our lives. This is what I, wanted, was what I meant by taking sides. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? I wish I could just write that on Facebook. That'd be awesome. Um, because everybody, I mean, what do they do? Like Chris was talking about it, where like you go out on the street and you're like, hey man, why don't you come to our church? Like, what do you think about homosexuality? And you're like, what? I was just inviting you to church. Like, They want to divide. They want to cause that divisive argument so they can go, yep, yep, see, just like what I thought, I'm out of here. So Jesus doesn't even, he's like, yeah, that's wickedness. To create, the, that's the attitude of Antichrist, to divide. Uh, so they brought him a denarius, and he said, you guys know, whose image is, and inscription is this? They said Caesar's, and he said, render therefore to Caesar what Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. He didn't engage in that argument. He just reframed the whole thing. It's really encouraging because it's like, yes, Jesus is always winning. <laughs> He's always confounding the arguments. You know, the wisdom from above. It says that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says that he became for us wisdom. And I often, I like to think like, the wisdom from above is not affected by the arguments from below. The truth that comes from heaven is not any less true because Bill Maher doesn't believe it, Right? But it's so easy to get like caught up in like, oh, I gotta convince, I, I gotta prove my argument. I have to make them agree with me. Jesus didn't. You know, and you would think that he would of all people, you have to believe, you have to do this. And he's just like, okay, give to Caesar what belongs to him, give to God what belongs to him. That's all I'm saying. Truth bomb, boom. And they're like, uh, did he, what, what just happened? <laughs> they don't even know. It's awesome. So we're in Romans 13. That's where I asked you to turn. Let's look at this. Now, you can burn me an effigy after tonight. That's totally fine. But, um, like, I used to get so angry. Like, I'm a politically charged person. Like, I really am. So that's what, like, this is like, I don't know. I can't even explain it. Like, this has been like a revolutionary kind of thing. And I hope, and my prayer for you guys, and for all Christians is, I feel like God is, he beats me over the head with truth, like, and it just like rocks my brain. And I'm like, what? And I hope it's not just me, but maybe I'm just that thick-headed that it needs to hit me as hard as it does. But anytime God wants to deal with me on something, it's like, and it's like the curtain comes back and it's like, wow, how did, how did this just, everything that I thought is just upside down now. Like he just totally reworks, rewires my brain about things. Um, but maybe it's because I'm so, when I have an opinion, I'm so opinionated about it that when somehow that opinion may change, it's such like a, a huge paradigm shift that I can't deal with it. Maybe that's why, maybe, 
maybe that's my uh, my a flaw in my character that I get so one you know narrow minded about certain things that God has to really like go and like one eighty it. But it, it's amazing when we read the scriptures how differently things come out when we just allow them to speak for themselves and we don't read them through our lens. We read them through the gospel lens. So if you back up a little bit into verse 12 of Romans, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I know I've probably already lost you here, but... Whenever we talk about things like this, there's always the urge to get the Trump first out. It's like, you know, but, but God sent Abraham in to slaughter all those people, and, and God did this, and, and, and what are you saying? I'm, I'm like, well, I'm just saying what the Bible says. Like, don't return evil for evil. But that makes us uncomfortable to just leave it at that, because we want to say, unless, or like this verse specifically, it says, as much as it is up to you, live peaceably among all people. And then we add, so if it's not your fault then that you're not peaceable, then you can just wreak havoc, right? Like we, we kind of finish the thought sometimes and he just says, obviously you're not going to be able to live peaceable with all people, but that's not up to you to decide. Like you do what you can. So it's in that context that he moves into chapter 13, like the idea of God being the one who avenges and, and oversees all things. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Oh, no. That verse wasn't in the Bible yesterday, was it? I don't think it was. (laughs) For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. If you uh, are familiar with this letter, Paul is writing to the Romans, and the governing authorities in Rome, I believe at this time it was Nero, and he is probably goes down in history as one of the worst emperors of Rome. You know, he he fiddled while Rome burns. No offense, Jason. Uh, that's like the big big thing that people always talk about. Like Rome was burning to the ground, and he was just sitting there crazy fiddling. You know, he didn't even care. And and he set he blamed the Christians for the fire, and then he just started killing all the Christians, even though it was his fault. You know, just crazy guy. And Paul's saying, God has allowed this to happen. Who are we to avenge? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Again, I'm not going to commentate on this. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself because these, these verses are convicting. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And you could argue that's true or not. But as a whole, you know, they're, they're supposed to punish the bad and and leave the good alone. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So the governing authorities that God has placed, they are the instruments by which God executes his wrath and judgment. So I'm not saying that like, you know, we should just live, put flowers and guns and just live as though the world is a great place. That's not what this is about. But I think we as Christians have a very specific call and sometimes we can allow our role to become that judge, jury, executioner role, which we're not called to be that way. We're called to preach the gospel. God has instituted governments and, and, and authorities to dictate the, what's best for their people. And that may be a just war. It may be this or that, preventative measure, whatever it is. That's not what we as Christians are called to concern ourselves with. At least that's not what I think we're called. You know, you can rebuke me later. Then do what is good, he says, for he is God's servant for your good. Oh, I already read that, sorry. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Man, that just stings. Uh, I remember when a president was in office that I kind of agreed with, and everybody used to badmouth him, and I'd get so upset. Be like, guy's just doing his job, man. He's doing the best he can. And then as soon as you put somebody in office that I don't agree with, huh, how the tables have turned, right? We have no problem badmouthing the people that don't agree with us. And it's just amazing. And God says, who are you to badmouth the governing authorities? doesn't mean you have to agree with them. doesn't mean that you have to obey them if they call you to do something that is contrary to Scripture. But what it does say is that God is in control of these things. And who are we to abandon the Great Commission and to abandon our call because of this trivial nonsense that's happening on our soil? I don't know. It's it's crazy, and and I I would be a hypocrite to say that I am like back, and I all of a sudden I'm like building troughs in Uganda and, and digging wells and all this stuff for people. Like I'm not. I'm going about my life and my family here and stuff. But the Word of God awakens the soul to what its true identity and purpose is when you read it and you really study it and you remove your flawed lens and you put. You say, God, speak to me and tell me how this speaks to me and tell me how you want it to speak to me. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, like, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, but I don't think that what everybody agrees with is really what God wants for us to do. You know, it's, it's weird, right? I hope, hopefully, you guys are, are kind of following along. Um, I don't have much. I'll try to wrap up. <laughs> I have so much. It's ridiculous. I even try to do another part, but we already kind of talked about it, but there's a reason why people who are liberal say that Jesus was a socialist. There's a reason why. Granted, they don't typically read the Bible in its entirety, so they they really don't have a leg to stand on. You know, like I love when people who don't follow the words of Jesus start to like preach Jesus back to you. Well, Jesus said it's like yeah, but did you read this other verse that he said? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't like it. <laughs> you know about 
going into gnashing and darkness forever, you know, those types of things. They pick and choose what words of Jesus they like and what they don't. But what I would argue is that Jesus is very, very specific about what he intends for the poor and for the rich. Like, I mean, he talks about the poor and the rich so much, and he talks about stewardship so much. We just talked about it last week, I think it was. And, you, you know, I'm not... I'm not here to condemn people for being wealthy because there are jobs that pay a certain wage and you work hard and you get that thing. And that's great. But I would be kidding myself if I turned a blind eye to the fact that there is so much wealth in America that is not being used the way God would love to see it used. Now, the problem is, is that Christians, not, not the whole community, but many Christians have allowed the American dream to cloud the Great Commission, so much so that when someone comes along and says, you know, you have too much, you go, oh, how dare you? I worked for this. I earned this. And when we go back to this idea of Jesus being in Washington, if we elected Jesus to be an elected official, you know what he would tell you? Do I have to finish it? He would say, I think you have too much. And I'm not saying that the government is right to want to take our tax money and, and because the way they're going to handle it is going to be a way that benefits them. They're flawed, they're sinful men, and there's always an angle. And it's always, there's always going to be corruption when mankind's involved. But we're, we're doing a disservice if we, dis, we throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like we say, and that's why when people on that side, <laughs> you know, I'm assuming we all kind of come from the same type of background. We might not, so I apologize. When people say things like, you know, everybody should give way more so that the people who don't have can have, and we say, no, I don't like that. We immediately dismiss the idea of maybe I should help people. And they look at us and say, you don't like the poor, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? If you ascribe to this political party, you hate the poor. That's it. I mean, like, I don't even want to hear your arguments about it because I associate that political party with greed, corruption, capitalism, you know, but these are all, you have to remember that these are all man-made labels that are to divide because what I think, I mean, I believe that America at one time was positioned to fulfill the great commission and the enemy and free will of man has allowed us to divide ourselves so much that we've been weakened so that we're just like everybody else. And we're not fulfilling what, what God would have for us, or maybe not in the timeliness. Obviously, God is sovereign. I'm not trying to say, like, we're preventing God's will from happening because God ultimately is in control of these things. And it's his long-suffering that is delaying his return because he wants more to be drawn in. But that number of people that are going to be drawn in, could they have been drawn in sooner? I don't know. It's just something to think about. Um, what verses do we have here? This is the text. I'm not going to read it because it's a lot, but you guys know the story when he says, you know, you're welcome to come to me because, or the king, he tells a parable about like, because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And, uh, they're like, when did, when did we see you like this? He said, even as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. 
Conversely, the people that didn't do it, they're like, oh, we didn't, we didn't know. And he said, but you did. Like, that is what you were called to do. When you're in the kingdom of this master, that's what we're called to do. You guys know the verse in James, right? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warned and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? <clears throat> I, um, yeah, I'm challenged because it's so easy. Like, we don't even realize it because we're justified. Because the opposing argument is so counter on every other point of what the Scripture says. And I like to just throw it all away. But there's this little asterisk about the poor. And Jesus cares a lot about it. And he says, preach the good news. Now, unfortunately, a lot of churches, in trying to fulfill this, have abandoned the gospel. And it's just become like a food bank, which is cool. Like you're meeting needs. That's great. But people can walk away with a full stomach and go to hell. They can. So there has to be a marrying of the two things. It was meet the need, drop the truth, right? I mean, that's what Jesus constantly is doing. He's saying, I'm not going to stone you, but go and leave your life of sin. You know, I'm going to heal you and your sins are forgiven. You know, there's always the two together. It's never just like, oh yeah, here you go. And, you know, the rich young ruler, he's like, hey, I've done a lot of great things. And he says, you need to sell everything you have. Now, obviously, Jesus is always going to point out the thing that's keeping them from, keeping you from him. It may be a relationship. Like, Jesus, like, I'm all in. Like, let me go and say goodbye to my family first. And he's always like, no, like, that. it's already backwards. You already are not giving all. So... I'm going to skip ahead if, if this will allow me to do that. Let's see. Yeah. Jesus and our rights. Because we're really, we love our rights. We have a whole bill of them, right? <laughs> like America is about freedom and rights. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What I often have to remind myself is, is that Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet when he said this. Like we think of it from the end to the beginning, and we're like, oh, take up the cross. Yeah, like Jesus did. He hadn't done it yet. And he's telling the disciples to take up the cross. And they're like, what? Are you insane? What are you talking about? But the, the cool thing is, is that every time Jesus commands us to do something, he does it first. He never says like, go do something, but I wouldn't do it. You know, hey, can somebody sweep this up? Because like, that's beneath me. Can somebody change that baby's diaper that's crying in the nursery, that's beneath me, you know, I have to go do this better task. You know what I mean? Like, anytime Jesus commands his disciples to do something, he's already laid it out and done it to show us the blueprint. He says, take up your cross like this. And it says he sets his face to Jerusalem and goes and dies on a cross. It's crazy. This is a little bit more hard-hitting. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I saw somebody post online. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on social media a lot. I mean, that's my sin. I need to confess. But I say it's for work. <laughs> uh, you know, I I tend to 
post an article that I feel like frames both sides of an argument well. I try not to get too one-sided on things because that's when you get all the, and I'm, on, I'm not on there to get like 50 comments on my stuff. Like that's just, that's tiresome. Um, but I posted something about like, you know, maybe this is a good thing that people are coming to our country. Maybe. Because we can preach to them. And yeah, like I read, <laughs> I'll read a, a part of this article that I read. And I was just like, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting point, sir. Um, he says, is it possible that a small percentage of them want to kill us? Let me counter that with another question. Does it matter? And I was like, huh? <laughs> Maybe it's because I grew up in a post-Columbine, post-9-11 world that we youngsters think this way. But refugees are no refugees. Some folk are, some folk are getting murdered in the United States today. Refugees are no refugees. There will be another school shooting somewhere. Refugees are no refugees. Terrorists will find a way. Life is terminal. You will die. I know that's really grim, right? <laughs> but he talks about in the article, it's really interesting. He says, like, when I grew up, we idolized people like Jim Elliott. We idolized people who went to the far reaches, to people who did not have the gospel, and were willing, even when they died, their wives went back. And we're like, man, look how faithful those people are. And now, the far reaches of the world are coming to our front door, and we're like, be gone! I mean, yeah, it, it's scary. And if, you, if they called me and said, hey, do you want to have these people come and you live in your house? I'd probably be like, no, I have two kids to consider. But the, the response should never be, well, my senator or my governor... It should be, what would Jesus say, right? I mean, seriously? But it's crazy. Like, call your senator. Tell them you don't want these people here. We're, we all have an expiration date. Like, we really do. And I'm trying to, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but like, if I were to live comfortably into my 70s and have a nice, luxurious house, and not one person would enter into the kingdom by any dollar or any word that I spoke or anything. What was my life for? On the other side of that, if I were to say, yeah, come on in. And I showed love and I, I heaped coals of fire you know, on, the, on my enemies' heads when they, were clothed, when they were hungry and naked and I fed them and I clothed them. And one of those people did something that ended my life. So what? Is that controversial? Maybe. But this, we're not of this world. Like, is this what we're living for? I don't think it is, or it shouldn't be. I think I'm going to get a... Chris is going to call me later and be like, what were you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you guys know that verse right? I'll just skip through to the end here. So when we say we want Christians in government, that's a good thing. I mean, we definitely want people who are going to lead with a biblical worldview. But as we already have seen, Jesus is not concerned with politics. He's constantly removing himself because he knows that as long as you're debating up here, then you're distracted from what is truly important. It's true. 
It's amazing. Like, I'm so comfortable. Maybe I'm not anymore. You know, I've tried to be a little bit more sensitive, but you can tell me if I am after tonight. <laughs> uh, like, I can frame an argument on a political view that I have confidently, typically. But put me in an arena of people who disagree with me and ask me to talk about theology or talk about the gospel, wow, that, that makes me tremble a little bit. It's easy to talk about the gospel among Christians. Like, it's a no-brainer, right? Because you can say confidently things that are controversial on the outside because you know that people are going to agree with you. But anyway, <clears throat> this is what Peter says. And Peter was a direct you know, follower of Jesus. And we're going to end here, so I apologize I've gone a little bit long. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, that harkens back to Hebrews, what we talked about, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And if you're like me, when I read that, I think of like, yeah, fleshly lusts. That, that usually just is a red flag about sexual stuff, you know? But as you know, like a lust is any impure desire for anything. It could be comfort. It could be wealth. It could be health. I don't know. Like these things war against our souls, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they're going to do, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Did you know that? We want to know the will of God for our life so much, and there's so much in the Bible that already tells us what it is. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So when we behave a certain way, and it's based on our political ideology, not our gospel-centered, renewed mind. Those foolish men, they go, yep, see, exactly what I would expect from somebody like you, right? How many people have you had that conversation with where they're like, well, you're one of those. Of course you're going to say that. But if we cut through all the political stuff and we say, what's the right thing? According to the gospel, what's the right thing to do? then you'll do the good and you'll put to silence those people. They'll be like, wow, like I can't badmouth them because they're doing what's right, regardless of political view or, or government involvement or whatever. You're putting to silence. I, that's why I say we shut up the stupid people when we do good. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have. Oh, Titus. I, again, like I had no idea so much that the Bible was talking about this. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves, oh, look at this. We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So he goes on to say, but God in his great mercy saved us and called us and washed us. So who are we to look at them and go, you have it wrong. He's like, we were just like that, if not for the grace of God. So our our fervor and, our, and, the, and the flame that wakes us up in the morning that gets us so angry should be the fact that the God of this present age is leading people to hell, not that someone is inconveniencing my free 
will and rights as an American. So the final thing is why place our faith in man-made institution when the kingdom of God will one day overthrow the kingdom of this world? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So if you want to get involved in government, here's the government you want to get involved in. The government will be upon His shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the final challenge is, if He's our Lord... And he tells us to do things. Why aren't we doing them? If he calls us to to feed and clothe, then feed and clothe. If he calls us to preach the gospel, preach the gospel. If he calls us to correct people when they're in in sin and and be wrong, then we do that. If you recall the story of Jonah, you're, you're very familiar with God saying, go to the Ninevites. Right? And Jonah's like, no way, those people are awful. And I heard someone say that, like, the Ninevites were, are the ISIS of that day. If you read about that history, of what they did to people, and we look at Jonah and are like, look at him. He's not following God's word. He's going to go and get eaten by fish, and God's going to puke him up on the shore, and he's going to go do it anyway. So you don't want to be puked up by a fish, right? We want to do what God's called us to do, which is preach the gospel to all people. The other thing is, is if we think that Jesus is concerned with what the governments are doing, and like he's like, I'm going to come in and clean house and all that stuff, like we have to remember the Jews were looking for a Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome, and what they got was a Messiah that suffered and died on a cross. And when Jesus was put before the Jews to be released, they chose Barabbas. And Barabbas was in jail because he was an insurrectionist, meaning he tried to overthrow the Roman government. So when I read that, I I just so happened to be reading through the end of Luke, totally unrelated to what we're going to talk about tonight. And I felt like the Lord said, (laughs) don't pick Barabbas. And I was like, whoa, okay, like, so when we want to get angry and we want to do things to change the culture, are we going to rely on a man to try to take over the government? Or are we going to have that that makes, riles us up? Or are we going to rely on the suffering servant who saved the world from their sins? So, you know, like Paul... <laughs> He got stoned in Lystra, dead. Everybody gathered around him. He's like, let's go back to work. <laughs> he got back up and went back into town. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, they can't do anything to you. Isn't that funny when he, he says it so offhanded like that? He's like, That's an important thing. But I think it's because we see, this is all we see. This is the only world we know. 
So like a baby in the womb, if you were to tell it, you're going to come out, someone's going to slap you, and the light is going to be so bright, and they're like, no way, this is the cozy place, right? This is like warm amniotic fluid. This is how I know. How am I going to eat? What's going to happen to me? It's a world they don't even know. They don't even understand, right? I heard an analogy of somebody coming uh, from another country, and when, a tree, when leaves fall off a tree, that tree is dead. They moved to Canada. The trees fell, or the leaves fell off the trees during autumn, and they were like, oh, man, all these trees are dying. They're like, no, no, it's going to come back new in the spring. And they were like, no. All they had seen in their country and their life was if a tree dies, it never comes back, right? But you put them in a new perspective, and they see the tree, yeah, it may die. But come springtime, it's going to be reborn. 